Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Probably won't be surprised to learn, especially if you've maybe driven around Hanover. Uh, accidents among distracted pedestrians is on the rise. Uh, in the last official study, which took place in 2010, uh, compared to the one that took place in 2005, uh, it has nearly doubled in the number of people who are so distracted while they're walking that they end up injuring themselves. Uh, at least within the U.S., there are 1,500 people, pedestrians, who had to be treated in emergency rooms uh, because of being distracted uh, while they're walking along. Uh, you can probably guess one of the major culprits is the cell phone, but surprisingly, more of the accidents happen not while they're texting, uh, but while they're on the phone talking to someone. In that group of 1,500, um, it does not include fatalities, but injuries can range from lacerations uh, due to walking in things like flagpoles and uh, corner stands, as well as people being hit by cars. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because paying attention while you're walking is important. Uh, and that's exactly what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians 4 and 5, uh, paying attention to our walk. And so he's talked about how we walk in terms of unity among one another as believers, how we walk in holiness among each other, and then how we walk in love among each other. But this morning we're coming to verses 7 through 14 in Ephesians 5, where Paul's going to direct us to think about walking in the light. What does it mean that as followers of Christ we are walking in the light? And so we'll see that Paul talks about this aspect in two different dimensions. He first will bring before us uh, that to do that means that we have to be countercultural in our conduct, uh, that we have to be countercultural in our conduct. And then in order to do that, we have to have a Christ-centered character. And so once again, we see Paul reminding us that it is important to talk about outward actions and behaviors. But if that's all we talk about, then all we've issued is some kind of moral ethical code without explaining how is that possible. Because we have to have a renewed and changed heart first. Uh, so let me take you to Ephesians 5, and let's look at verses 7 through 8, where Paul speaks of this countercultural conduct that should mark us as believers. So we get to verse 7, and Paul says, Therefore, do not be partners with them. 
Uh, now we've seen this word therefore come up, introducing new sections, conclusions in Ephesians 4 and following. Uh, but in this case, you want to think about this word partners. Do not be partners with them. Now to be partners is referring to sharing in something, participation with. Uh, it's even the word we would use more positively as fellowship. Paul's saying, do not have fellowship or partnership with them. So that should lead us to the next question, who is he referring to by them? Well, if you back up in verse 6, you'll notice in verse 6 he said, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So the them is a reference to those who are disobedient. And so Paul is very concerned that if we're going to walk in the light, uh, to walk in, in fellowship with the Lord, uh, that it will require a type of, of separation. But here's where we look again to the scripture for guidance on this, in that we must distinguish between separation from sin and isolation from sinners. And so we can think in history, we have seen examples where that distinction has been blurred. In other words, the thought is we need to protect ourselves from the world. We, we need to isolate from the world. That is not what Scripture is saying. There's a difference here between separation from sin and isolation from sinners. One is biblical, the other is not. And so you notice here in this section, Paul's going to talk about this in another setting to another church. Uh, so I want you to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. Uh, because I think it is very easy, as I have mentioned, to, to confuse this uh, and to forget that, wait, the world is who we're trying to reach. Sinners are the ones who stand in need of the gospel, of hearing it, and we too as believers need to be reminded of the gospel. But look with me at 1 Corinthians 5, and we're going to pick up at verse 9, just a little bit of background here. Uh, Paul's addressing the fact that in this church, they have someone who is a part of the church professing to be a believer, but is living in sin. Uh, and Paul's saying to them, you need to address this. You need to address that because they're in the church and they're, they're professing one thing, but they are not walking in the light. So let's pick up with his instructions in verse 9. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. 
there we have some real clarity where Paul was aware some who had received his previous correspondence are confusing what he's saying and thinking, well, maybe Paul's telling us we need to pull back from the world, you know, pull back from anyone who's a sinner and isolate ourselves from them. And Paul says, no, that, that is ridiculous. If that were what I were saying, then you couldn't even exist in this world. But what he is saying here is that we do need to distinguish between separation from sin and isolation from sinners. And he puts a heavy biblical responsibility on Christians and says, you have God's authority to use his word to deal with sin in your midst. And that's, that's a serious task every church must take. And at the same time, for those who are outside the church, we can say that what they're doing is sinful, but we don't have the relationship there to provide discipline. And so as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus about walking in the light, you want to think about, well, who are these individuals that he's referring to who are disobedient? Is he talking about the broader community of Ephesus? Or is he actually zeroing closer and bringing that microscope into those who are professing that they are believers, professing they're walking in the light when they're not? So we'll come back to that in Ephesians 5. Uh, but you see the clarity that his letter to the church at Corinth provides for us. And this is what we want to do. Whenever we're reading scripture and studying it, if, if we're wondering what does Paul mean by this or what does this writer mean, see if you can find other places in the New Testament or the Bible that address this same subject. So let's go back to Ephesians 5. And we're thinking about this importance of, of distinguishing separation from sin with isolation from sinners. So with that thought in mind, you think of the city of Ephesus, whose Paul's writing to where believers are there. Uh, a major city, it had a huge temple to Artemis there. Uh, so it was, a, it was a pluralistic place, many religions, philosophies going in and out of it. So in the midst of that, I want to ask you a question. And this would be true for Paul's day, I think, as well as ours. Uh, what words describe the culture we're in? What words would you pick that would describe the, the culture we're in, the world around us? What? Okay, sinful. sinful. Chaotic. What, Gene? Chaotic. Chaotic. Yeah, any others come to mind? I was thinking vindictive. Uh, you know, everyone is kind of out for themselves. Uh, you, you think about this in your own workplace. If there's some kind of error that happens, mistake that happens, what does everybody do? Everyone wants to find someone to blame. So we're, we're a self-focused culture, a sinful culture. Uh, a reckless culture in many ways. Uh, and yet, interesting, our culture would tend to say they're, they're open to everything. You know, that's one of the things right now. You want to be, quote-unquote, tolerant of everything. I sort of think those words describe our culture, but should they describe us as followers of Christ? 
And so what Paul's seeking to do here is it's to say to us, well, your behavior should be different. And I don't know about you, but if someone were to say to me, you should act differently, the first thing that might pop into my head is, why? Give, give, give me a reason. So why should your behavior and my behavior not match that of the culture around us? Well, if you look at verse 8, Paul reminds us why. What, what's the reason that he can say you shouldn't partner with, with someone who is living just an outright sin. But notice verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now when you're reading scripture, Paul in his letters often uses these contrasts. So you have a contrast between once and now. But, but it's interesting how he words this. What would change if I read it this way? You once were in darkness. Does that sound different than if I said you once were darkness? Yeah, if you said, well, you once were in darkness, that might imply there was some degree of ignorance you had. Maybe if we just gave you better instructions, directions, you would change. Paul's very clear. It's not that you were once in darkness. You once were darkness. But now you are not just in the light, you are light. And so we want to step back and think of, well, what would these two contrasting terms present? The Gospel of John is, is very much filled with contrast between light and dark. Uh, but Paul uses that here. And so if you notice, if you look at chapter 5 of Ephesians, notice verse 11, he uses the word darkness again have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Then go to chapter 6 and verse 12, and there Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. It is very clear that Paul is using darkness as a symbolic representation of the realm of sin and the power of sin. Those who are darkness are living a sin-dominated and controlled nature. They are under the power and authority of sin. Now, that should not surprise us. Why? Well, if they're of the world, that is what the world is. But notice he contrasts that with light. So in the verses that we read from Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, in that short block of verses, you could circle the word light there. It appears five times. And he's speaking there of light as a reference to truth, knowledge, and holiness that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's the reason that, that we should not act like the world, but actually conduct ourselves in a way that is counter-cultural. And hasn't that been true throughout the centuries of the New Testament? Believers have always acted counter-cultural. Not, not in a rebellious sort of defiant way, but following the lead of their Lord and Savior. 
So even when you've had times in early Roman history where uh, plagues were hitting the city of Rome, you had Roman historians commenting that they don't understand these followers of Christos who, who refuse to leave the dying and the sick when everybody else is fleeing for their own health and protection. Counter-cultural behavior motivated by love for Christ. But you see in Ephesians 5, the second part of the verse, Paul's admonition is, well, I gave you a reason why you are to conduct yourselves counterculturally. And then he says, live as children of light. So there's that word live or walk again that keeps coming up in this letter. And it emphasizes a habitual conduct or course of action. So we're not just talking about you, you do this once or you did one task and you say, well, that was countercultural. I, I guess I'm, I checked that box for the week. Uh, this is to repeatedly mark us. Let me read you these words from 1 John to see the consistent testimony of other apostles along these same lines of live as children of light uh, and how that should make us stand out from our culture, not blend in with our culture. And, and notice, even as I say this, we, we have a tendency sometimes to want to stand out for the wrong reasons or, or to stand out based on external things. Like if we simply said, well, a Christian should dress this way, not that way. Those are external factors. We should stand out for our behavior, which is, as we'll see, coming out of a Christ-centered character. But look at 1 John chapter 2. And here you have the Apostle John writing. Uh, now, we know that the Apostle John would be the, the longest living of the apostles, um, possibly died of natural causes, um, maybe even died while he was in exile. But, but he's the longest living apostle. And you can't help but wonder, as he's writing this, have all the other apostles at this point already passed into glory? And you notice what he says in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Is John saying the same thing as Paul? The one who lives as a child of light is the one that matters, is the one that is honored and, and really has what will last for eternity. I sort of listen to this with greater depth, not just because it's in the scripture, but John's seen what has happened to many believers. That They've had short lives and yet John can say that they've actually come out the winners here because everything in the world will pass away. And it's the exact opposite of what you have in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 because now we move from the conduct of the believer that needs to be <laughs> countercultural 
to the reason it is countercultural is because we have a Christ-centered character. That, that we are beings who are made into new creations and are continually being transformed. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, and now we move to verses 9 through 14. And in verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So you have the reference to fruit here being the result or the actions that, that from which this comes. And, and Paul gives us three strong Christian graces, or we might say spiritual character traits, that, that should increasingly mark all of us who are disciples of Christ. And you notice that although the first one has the word all before it, you, you should really read each one as all. So all goodness, all righteousness, all truth. And so now let's back up and think about what does Paul mean by goodness? So living and walking in the light that we are marked, characterized by goodness. This is not just mere niceness. Because everyone made in the image of God, common grace, they can display niceness at times. But, but goodness here is, is actually a word that stresses God's generosity to us. And so think in a culture where it's marked by selfishness, vindictiveness. Here's our character is marked by generosity and favor displayed towards others. Maybe we could say in a sense we, we live sacrificially. Uh, we, we, we don't live for ourselves. We don't live to post for other people what our life is all about. We live sacrificially in all goodness. And I don't think I have to remind you how that would stand out from our world. But notice he goes on, not just all goodness. And interesting, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, where he has never yet personally visited, he says in that letter, I am confident that you are all full of goodness. How did Paul know that from what he heard about the church, what he heard about the believers? If we were to take the time and the opportunity to ask the people who work with you, who work with me, would they use the word goodness, that we are sacrificial in our, in our approach to others because of Christ, would they say that about us? Would they say, yeah, that, that they are so full of goodness. Paul could say that about these believers he'd never met because he heard of how God was working in them. He didn't just hear of their conduct. He, he was directed to the character behind that. But notice the second Christian grace that he mentions, all righteousness. Now, the word righteousness means conformity to a standard. So, in other words, we walk in a way that conforms to God's standard. We, we reflect Christ. Now, I know all of us do not do that perfectly. We, we stumble, but, but we should be increasingly reflecting Christ. 
to to one another in the Lord, to those who we interact with in the workplace, in the community. Paul Paul holds this up and says, here's here's what a Christ-centered character looks like. But then notice the third one, all truth. Now the word truth correlates to what is real, reality. In other words, our, our faith is genuine. We're, we're, we're not two-faced. We, we're not deceptive in our wording. He's already told us in chapter 4, we are to speak the truth in love. So he says that the Christ-centered character shows itself in its truthfulness, its, its integrity. I don't think there's a week that goes by where you don't read of someone's integrity being questioned in the news and someone denying that they have any questions of integrity. How much greater in a world and a culture that, that really has lost its, its moral foundations to see in us a, a truthfulness because of Christ. And so Paul puts these out there. And it may very well be, possibly in the back of Paul's mind, is something the prophet Micah said. And so if you remember a memory verse a number of years ago, Micah 6, 8, related to what does the Lord God require of you? Uh, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You could kind of say that's sort of the Old Testament version of what Paul's saying here. Here are the Christian graces. This is what your character should be in a world that will herald the opposite of each of these. But a Christ-centered character actively will seek to obey the will of God. And so you see in verse 10, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, that we find out what pleases the Lord. Now this, this word find there means to, to thoroughly test and examine. It would be the equivalent of, of how you would test a witness to, to make sure they're credible. So you, you get this sense that a Christ-centered character not just displays these graces, but they have a hunger to want to please God, that to, to obey God's will. And so you see that spelled out now in verses 11 through 14, where Paul says what this looks like is that we seek to expose and bring to light sin. Now, I take you back to the statement there in verse 11, when he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So a couple questions here. One is to expose something means to, to bring it before, to make known what has been sought to be kept secret. But the bigger question is, who is Paul saying we should be looking to expose their sins if they are refusing to deal with them? And based on the 1 Corinthians 5 passage, I don't think Paul's talking about the world here. I think he's talking about in-house. 
He's saying, if you have someone who's professing faith in Christ, but they're not living at all that way and not reflecting a godly character or displaying actions that point people to Christ, that needs to be exposed in love. And why? Not, not because you're looking for a platform to make yourself look better, but by exposing it, by making it visible, the goal would be repentance and restoration. That's a challenge for all of us to think about. And yet Paul's statement here is motivated by love. Why should this concern us? Remember what you once were, but, but now you're this. And so if you're professing that I'm walking in the light, now notice this is different, and I want to clarify, this is different from a Christian who says, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm, I, I want to see Christ work in my life in this area. Uh, I, I want to provide godly counsel. I want to listen. I'm trying. I'm, I'm praying about all this. That's very different than the case that Paul's dealing with here. The, the disobedient that are trying to hide and deliberately are saying, I'm, I'm not struggling with this. I don't care. Paul says that needs to be made visible so that it can be addressed. So hopefully that individual will respond and seek forgiveness and restoration. But then you'll notice in verse 14 that, that this verse comes from somewhere else. You can tell by the indentations on your page. Anytime you're reading and you suddenly see a lot of white on the page, that usually tells you this is being pulled from somewhere else. So the question here is, where is this coming from? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So some Bibles have a little footnote that possibly there's two Old Testament references Paul pulls together here for this particular quotation. Uh, one from Isaiah and one from Proverbs. Th that could be the case. There's another view that I find interesting that says that this, this section here uh, about wake up, O sleeper, is actually part of a fragment from maybe an early hymn, uh, a hymn that would be used in the church that Paul pulled from that was a hymn that emphasized repentance and forgiveness. So in other words, when Paul is saying that part of a Christ-centered character is we want to deal with sin correctly. And, and we know there's times it has to be brought to light for that to happen. That that is motivated by our love for our Lord and Savior and our love for that individual. And that would make it very appropriate for him to pull from a hymn that maybe many were familiar with singing together and say, this is what I'm talking about. You've, you've sung about it, now I'm challenging you to practice it, to apply it. And doesn't that all come back to how Ephesians 4.1 began when Paul said, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So that calling is all about walking. Walking in unity, walking in holiness, walking in love, and then this morning, the importance of walking in the light. 
There's no question that not paying attention or being distracted when you walk can physically cause problems. But I think as you read Ephesians, you see there's a much greater concern we have when we're not paying attention to how we walk spiritually, that there are life-threatening results and consequences. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your timeless word. And I pray that these instructions from Paul would be a challenge that we would each take to heart this week, that by your grace we would be walking in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.